Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to episode four of the Clicking Balls podcast. This one is about Formula One. It's our maiden Formula One podcast. It's been a while in the works, but we can thank Ron Dennis and McLaren for drawing this one out. We've been waiting for the driver announcements to be finalised before we got stuck into it. So I'm Brenton, and uh... <laughs> really, really, now I can hear my voice. Yeah, all right. I was fucking wondering about that. We're going to start off uh, with a. Uh, wrap up of the 2014 F1 season. Going to start from the back of the grid. Well, what was the back of the grid now with Caterham? Uh, Caterham finished 11th with zero points, obviously. Um, Marcus Ericsson finished 19th. Kamui Kawiyoshi finished 22nd. We had Will Stevens in for one race and Andre Lotterer in for one lap. Um, yeah, so what'd you make of Caterham season? Oh, look, they turned up. I think that's about the best that could be said. Yeah. Um, and that was pretty much it. They they had four wheels majority of the time. Um, Sometimes, yeah. No, no one actually got seriously injured in their cars, which is a, a you know more than some teams can say. Yeah, and it was interesting to see uh, Kobayashi tweet that that picture of his suspension arm when it got damaged in I think it was a practice. Oh yeah, did yeah. that dodgy patch up job. <laughs> yeah, duct tape can help. Um, fix most things around the home, probably not around an F1 racer. Yeah, but they cross-hashed it with a pen to make it look like carbon fiber. <laughs> uh, the old Sharpie, that worked well. So yeah, when when formulating a, a plan to make this podcast, I was going to do you know, the highlights of a season and, and then the lowlights, but with Caterham, it's not really a whole lot of highlights. Actually, I, I think that uh, repair job that Kobayashi tweeted about was actually decent, solely because a lot of these guys are going to end up back in rally, and that's what the drivers have to do, pretty much bodge up shit. Well, that's true. That'll get a job with Top Gear. <laughs> yeah, repair everything with a hammer. So, yeah. So, Caterham went bankrupt. They missed the US and the Brazil GPs. And um, they end up crowdfunding to get to Abu Dhabi. But they had a lot of help from Bernie as well, who hooked them up with some flights and probably chipped in the rest of the coin to get there. And I think it's the thing with Caterham is, I mean, they make excellent cars. Not Formula 1 cars, but road cars. Yeah, unfortunately, the two really aren't related that much. No, and the thing is, their GP2 team is excellent. You know, they're consistently mm, mm. running at the front. So, I think for, for Caterham, I just think F1 is not for them. Not, no, not in I the current setup. Just a totally different class. Um, yeah. You know, it's like carts to V8 races. Yeah. You know, you can, you can be the best driver in the world. If, you, if you're running in a second-rate car, you have zero chance. Yeah, and I think... I, I like Caterham cars. I like their open-wheel cars, and um, their GP2 team is really good. And I think it's just not really necessary for them to be in Formula 1. I think it's just too much of a liability. Although I'm not sure if um, it was actually Caterham running that team. They were just using the Caterham name, weren't they? Uh, I think it was accountants for most of the year. 
because uh, <laughs> yeah. certain bills weren't being paid, um, and people tend to not like that so much. No, but they they were very good at cutting IOUs each week. Oh yeah, passing yeah. them on. There was Jeez. one point they weren't going to have an engine. So yeah, so moving on from Caterham, we had Sauber finish tenth with uh, yeah. Sotil in eighteenth and Esteban Gutierrez in twentieth. Every year I have to be reminded that Sauber exists. Yeah, like they just they turn up, do a middling effort, end up in midfield, go home, and that's pretty much it. There's nothing that stands out about Sauber. They've got a bland color scheme. They've got you know bland drivers. Uh, you know Sotil and Gutierrez, quality drivers. But uh, they're not qualities a bit. They deserve to be on the field. Yeah, on the, Sotil on the... does. I don't know about Gutierrez. But there's there's no. If you watched a highlight reel of Sauber, I think it'd be their unveiling, and then maybe a couple of really quick pit stops. That's about it. There's yeah. no classic passes. There's no, uh, you know, drifting around corners. There's no wet weather, rain mastery. It's just. Oh yeah, guess we'll drive. Yeah. Oh yeah, the race is over. Oh yeah, let's go home. And there's there's no one sticking the car on a, a top slot on the uh, qualifying grid like uh, other teams have managed to do. No, see, I I honestly could not tell you their top qualifying for the year because they're boring. Yeah, well, I'm not even sure if they made it through to a, a Q3. And a lot of them, they claimed their a lot of their problems were down to the Ferrari power unit. And I mean. Yeah, but that doesn't matter to a, a driver so much in an overtake. Like, you look yeah. at uh, Kobayashi. His late braking and was just balls out. Yeah, Kobayashi. You know, he, he was famous for just diving in. And yeah. that's what you want to see as a, a racer. And that doesn't matter on engine power. That's just all guts. Yeah, and he was the first one to get a podium for Sauber, I think, in the Japanese Grand Prix when he was racing for him. Yeah, and didn't last long after. No, and they gave him the ask he had yeah. no cash. And I think that's that's the, the double-edged sword with Sauber is they're going to claim that... Um, the Ferrari uh, power unit was shit. And, I mean, they might be right, but the other team that had a Ferrari engine was Marussia, and they <laughs> beat Sauber. Yeah, it's like getting beaten by your homeless cousin. Yeah. And like, I think I think a lot of it comes down to, well, yeah, the car's average, but your driving just aren't helping you. And they're giving you cash to be on the grid, but if they're not going to get you the results, then it's kind of irrelevant. I mean, you had Gutierrez, he's just not up for scratch for F1. He's got heaps of cash, but he's just not there yet. And he's, he's moved to Ferrari as their test driver for the next season. And also, I wasn't really impressed with uh, Manisha Caltonborn's management. I think I think she, she might have the potential. I don't know. We don't really hear a lot from her except for when she's complaining about the financial state of Formula One. But it seems she just misses misses negotiating the the politics of Formula One. She just doesn't have that that inroads or that ability to rapport build with the power brokers. I think a lot of it too is that uh, there's more to being a team principal than just looking after the bank balance. Obviously, that has to come into it, but you've got to lead a team. You've got to set out the standard of you know behavior, the racing style. Exactly. Um, you've got to tell them what you want, not you, just give them the the drivers the broad aspect of oh you go up and finish as high as you can. No, say so we want you to go out and just tear into it today. Like today, if you crash, as long as no one dies, not too fast, as long as you put up a good show. Yeah. And I think that's where the successful teams actually do really well in that look, they do have more money. Don't get me wrong. Mm. But they get out there and go, look, you just you go balls out the whole damn way. Yeah, and on the money aspect, it seems that um, Formula One these days, it is ridiculously expensive to be fighting at the pointy end of the field. And um, it seems that unless you have some business interest outside of F1 within that, that structure, then it's just impossible to be able to make a profitable business by being a Formula One team, and that's it. Mm. Yeah, you do need the halo effect. And Ferrari's... Fa- uh, Ferrari? 
Ferrari is famous for it. Like uh, Enzo was yeah. uh, quoted as saying, the people that buy my cars are fools. I just sell them so I can go racing. Yeah. And um, even if you look at um, Williams, how they spent their money, they've done very well. I mean, they do get a bit of extra budget based on, for historical means. But oh, their technological investment has been very sharp. Yeah, and you look at someone like that, where they were around Sauber's level, you know, not too long ago, and it just shows that with the right leadership and, you know, just smart, savvy investment outside of Formula One, you can really make a lot of money because um, Sauber... Yeah, they're right. They probably don't have the best engine, but they don't do themselves any favor either. And um, both the drivers underperformed. I felt I felt yeah. that um, they didn't really, really lead the team forward compared to other drivers which Sauber have had. You know, this is more than I've talked about Sauber in the whole season. Yeah, and the funny thing is, I mean, it's Peter Sauber, it's actually a decent guy. I don't, know if, I don't think he has anything to do with the team now. I think he started the team, but but actually, I really like him. So I want Sauber to be in F one and do well. But it seems like the times have changed now. They just they can't legitimately um, flourish in Formula 1. I think they're just a poor man's Williams. Yeah, yeah, you're probably not right there. And It'd be what happens if you took the Williams people out of Williams. Yeah, and you look at look at next season, the drivers that they've got is um, Marcus Ericsson from Caterham, who, I mean, technically finished above Kamui just from uh, way of a higher um, finish during the season, but Kamui outclassed him completely during during the whole season. And the other driver they've got is Felipe Nasser from Williams, who will be probably a very good investment for them. And even he said he didn't really want to leave Williams, but it's so hard to get into Formula 1 these days that if, as soon as you get offered a seat, you more or less have to take it up. But you've got Ericsson, who comes from Caterham. He's not really going to give you any advice. And Nasser was only the test driver at Williams, and it's going to be his rookie year. And so it's going to be hard for him to develop a car as well. So to be honest, I'm not looking for any improvements next year. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think enough said about Sauber. They they're ordinary. They're ar- they're below average, yeah. and they're not showing any signs of improvement. They're not advancing technologically. Not not getting good name drivers in. They're just dying by inches. And I mean, at the end of the day, they finished below Marussia, who, by their own admission, couldn't develop parts because they didn't have the cash, and they went broke. Well, yeah. I mean, what what is Marussia? It's just a. a I think it's a front for the Russian KGB or some shit. Yeah, or it's just, you know, a way to smuggle shit tons of illegal vodka into other countries. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty Which, true. you know, fuck it, it would explain a lot of things. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, going on to Marussia, they finished ninth with two points, which two points is a very good effort coming from where they've come from. And uh, it's just a shame they won't be around next season to, well, probably won't be around, not in the Marussia guys anyway, to claim their prize money for the hard work. Yeah. And I mean, you think, at the minimum, I'd like to see... Um, Formula One, give it to their employees, like their factory employees, split up between them. I do agree, but um, the people that run Formula One, including Bernie, aren't really famous for uh, just doling cash out. Billionaires in general tend to be billionaires because they keep money, not because they just uh, hand it out. Uh, Cold, so you can imagine him trying to give away his prize money ain't going to happen. Oh, he'd he'd give you out a receipt, and he'd demand a tax break for it. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean... They had a decent season for, for where they're coming from. I mean, Max Chilton proved very reliable driver, and Jules Bianchi finished, uh, was it ninth in, in Monaco, collecting two points, which was their, their two points for the season. And obviously, the, the low points were Jules Bianchi's crash and also their demise from Formula One as well. I think uh, we do need to touch on Bianchi's crash. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of people who say, uh, you know, people that say it was uh, his issue for driving too fast on the double wave yellows. Uh, I do agree with that. Yeah. But um, I've 
spoken to other people in F1, and some people um, have been in F1 a long time, and they're saying, uh, my opinion is that if cars are lapping, yeah. and there's machinery in a runoff area, there is a safety car to come out. Yeah. And that I realise it's not actually a rule. I was surprised to learn it's not actually a rule. But uh, I would think that uh, in, in areas like uh, Monaco, for example, yeah. they do follow that rule. Uh, yeah. All the heavy machinery is kept behind concrete barriers. Uh, if it needs to go out on the track, obviously being such a narrow track, there's no way to avoid anything. Yeah. So they bring out the safety car. Uh, I can't remember seeing a Monaco race without a safety car. Yeah. And, and you know, Monaco racing isn't brilliant, but it's Monaco. So yeah, exactly. But, uh, again, if there is a large you know, dozen ton machine in a runoff area in the wet. Yeah. I would think a safety car would be supported by most people. Yeah. And they, I uh, think they released the findings of their inquest into, into the incident. And they were saying yeah. that the, the flag waving was correct because where you saw the green flags being waved, that um, denotes the following sector. Yeah. Which is true. That is the yeah. flag, wa- uh, flag waving procedure. However, a lot drivers, pull in so much information simultaneously, their situational awareness is up there with fighter pilots, yeah. if not exceeding them. And so they're pulling in details of how the car feels, how the car's travelling, uh, what sort of downfalls, whether the front or rear is loose, uh, yeah. the traction, the 30,000 settings on the steering wheel. And in their peripheral vision, because they don't take their eyes off the road, they're getting the lights. It's on the steering wheel as well. Yeah, But bear in mind, it's pissing down rain and their visor is wet and fogged and all that shit. So I don't know what actually happened in Jules Bianchi's head, but you see green immediately, even just as a regular driver on the road, you think, situation's fine, I'm going through. Yeah, and another thing that they found that went wrong was that all Formula 1 cars are mandated to have a function which will kill the engine in the event of a crash. Yes, so if yes. you stomp down the brake and the accelerator at the same time, it's supposed to cut the engine. Yeah. And I'm not sure if it would have had much of an effect, but you'd think it would have to with um, the harvesting of power from the brakes. If the engine's cut, you would think that that would have a negative effect on the torque of the, of the, the wheels and for them, the turning effect, you know? Oh, look, in, in this situation, even a small fraction of uh, um, advantage in stopping power... And even the ability to turn, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um and I did see that report, and it did say that that was a, a massive cock-up. Uh, I don't know how that got allocated, whether it was a Marussia issue, whether it was uh, part of the um, control electronics, or uh, what was actually involved in that going pear-shaped. But uh, Bianchi didn't do himself any favours. Yeah. But fuck me, people didn't do him favours favors either. Yeah, and... The thing is, at the end of the day, when you're flying cars around a track at that speed, it's never going to be safe. There's always going to be accidents. Very true. Like, um, we're, we're in an era now where driver damage is so uncommon. Yeah. Like, we've, we saw uh, just, I think it was last season, Weber coming out of behind um, uh, Kovalainen. Oh, yeah. Was it yeah. the season before? Um, uh, I think... think that was in Singapore. Yeah. Was it Abu Dhabi? Uh, one of the two. I'm pretty sure it was Singapore. And you see him, the Red Bull was the class of the field and just came so close up behind Kovalainen and he thought he'd go around and didn't realise that Kovalainen was in a, a shitty um, catering. Was it catering? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, ended up spearing in, flying into the uh, flying through the air, into the wall at 300 k's an hour, gets out, throws the steering on the ground, his day's done. Yeah, that's right. Um, I remember he was... Um, he was taking off the uh, what's the device? The neck brace Hans device. device. Hans yeah. device. He was taking that before the car had even ground to a halt. 
Exactly. And, you know, that's all down to the engineering of uh, the car and also the circuit. Yeah. But the cars are designed to, you know, make it so a driver doesn't just get in those crashes and is okay, gets in those crashes and just walks away like it was pretty much nothing. Yeah. Um, and the funny thing is, or not funny, but uh, the thing to contrast that with is it just recently he got in an accident in his Porsche and he had a big stocking headache. Mind you, that was a spectacular accident. But still. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, Weber tends to have some decent highlights. Yeah, he does. And um, all right, moving on to eighth place, which was Lotus. And they finished with 10 points in what can only be described as a very disappointing season for them. Uh, Romain Grosjean finished 14th with eight points. And Pastor Maldonado finished 16th with two points. I think the highlights for them were were definitely Austin, where uh, Pastor finished 8th and Romain 11th. And um, they, I think that was the first time they had two cars in solid positions for them anyway. I mean, you wouldn't call 11th and, and 8th solid positions, but for where they were, it's it not a bad recovery. Well, for two guys that are pretty famous for crashing out, that's a, a brilliant result, I would say. Yeah, and I yeah. think I think they, they were written off before the season even started. You can see through winter testing that they were nowhere near the pace. They struggled to complete a lap. I think their car might have caught on fire, but they, they just couldn't do anything. They were lucky to complete a race. Honestly, I, I find that really disappointing because I think yeah. Lotus, for a start, is one of the best-looking cars around. Yeah. I think it's spectacular. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a classic. Uh, I'm a big Ayrton Senna fan, as you well know. Yeah. And the John Player special um, Lotus, uh, yeah. Lotus uh, paintwork, tea? I think, is yeah. beautiful. Uh, and they've harkened back to that, which is brilliant. Their merchandising has sucked with it, but, uh, you know, so be it. I'm sure there's people just throwing money at them, trying to get shit. Yeah. But uh, Grosjean, I think he's been better this season. Yeah. But um, still mediocre. Yeah, I think he's definitely learned a lot this season. And, I mean, I'll tell you what, he must have been getting pretty twitchy feet when Eric Boulier got recruited yeah. by McLaren because he seemed to be the only one that was given uh, remain faith, especially when he, when he got that suspension for, for shit driving. Yeah, and I think... Um, Grosjean gets his criticism, but I still think he's better than Crashter. Yeah. Maldonado, I mean, he's just, he's a bit too crazy. He's just not at that level where you're going to, in order, you know, to, the old saying, to finish first, first you must finish. So, I mean, you can bring all the cash in the world, but if you're costing the team money by writing the car off every other weekend, yeah. it's kind of, you know. And actually, Ricardo had a good quote about that, because obviously being in the HRT, um, you know, that's the old team, not the hormone replacement therapy. Yeah. Well, the two weren't far off, but... Uh, <laughs> He said he could only drive that 95% because he didn't trust the thing to stick. Yeah. And I think that is the case with uh, Maldonado too. He could drive faster. Yeah. But uh, part of being a driver is driving the car. Yeah, I mean, not, putting one Tron's bike, you'd be sick. Yeah, but you've got to drive the car you have, not drive the car you wish you had. Yeah. Like, uh, I think it's fair to say that you could have put half a dozen drivers in a Mercedes this year and they would have won the WDC. Well, to be honest, if you're on F1 grid... And if you're in a Mercedes and couldn't win the WDC, you should not be on the grid. Shit, no. And um, it'll be interesting to see uh, next season. It'll be probably the first season we'll see the real effect of Nick Chester being there, uh, head of, I think he's head of design, yeah, head of design, with um, James Allison moved to Ferrari this season. And Allison, we all know, is a very, very excellent designer. And he was sort of responsible for the excellent season that Kimi had on his, in his return. And... Um, his legacy, unfortunately, left was the Twin Tusk, which <laughs> we've already seen Nick Chester design the new nose for next season. They trialled that through the through the year, which uh, looks to be in line with the Merck and uh, Ferrari nose. Yeah, I, th- I think fewer dildos at the front yeah. of the car is yeah. a, always a good option. Um, it'll, I'm not saying they aren't pretty much driving uh, 
a rear wheel drive penis. Yeah. Because you know, F1 drivers, that's pretty much what they're doing. Yeah. And look, that's fine. But uh, you, you don't need a, a bit of a knob on the end of it. Especially not two. Not two. One short on the other. Yeah, I mean, look, if I had the option, I'd more than likely choose to have two knobs. So you get one quarter machinery, you can reach for a spare. Lotus also, one of their main complaints was down to the Renault engine uh, not being homogenized with their chassis. And I, I mean, I think they're clutching at straws for those sorts of excuses because... Yeah, I mean, look, there are other cars in Renaults, uh, with yeah. Renault engines, in, including Renault. Yeah. And Red Bull, obviously. And look, they did better. You guys got asked. And uh, look, you can either bitch and moan, which a lot of F1 people tend to do. Oh, they hate having a whinge. Yeah, it's a default setting. Yeah. Um, or you can go, look, guys, we got we just got to be faster. Yeah. And so it will be interesting to see uh, the direction that Nick Chester takes with the new design. Because... Um, I think it was safe, safe, same for everybody. Everyone wants to see Lotus on the grid. Everyone loves the livery of Lotus. It's the best looking car out there. And just the, the history that they have with the drivers that they've bled through, uh, blooded through Formula One. You know, you want to see them on the grid and you want to see them up there. Yeah, and you, you know, there is the saying that they're not the Lotus of yesteryear. But uh, look, they're as close as we're going to get. No, I mean, well, you get what you pay for. Really, you got Romain Grosjean and Pastor Maldonado and they're continuing on for next season. So to be honest, I'm not expecting great things from Lotus next year either. No, but, you know, it, it's like uh, like going to a restaurant. If someone's going to pay you to eat their food, probably not great food. Yeah. Actually, there's another a lotto we could have and see if uh, we could play bingo with cra- uh, Crashter's races. So we can see if we can manage to take out the whole grid over the course of a season. Actually, I reckon that could work. Just get everyone's numbers, put them on the line, yeah. and, uh, you know, when he fills a row... You can just yell out crash talk. Well, you, you could do like a little uh, lucky dip where each person draws out, you know, six six drivers, all, all reset at the start, so you get no. different combinations. Actually, you know what we should do? Lotus are a bit low on Dosh. Yeah. I reckon they run this fucking thing. Everyone throws in 10 bucks, they get a, a card, and then people fill their cards up, and whoever wins gets a bit of the car he fucking ripped off. Yeah, I'm, I'm willing to bet uh, Crashter has a big hand in that one. We'll see all that money going back to Venezuela. <laughs> Next, Toro Rosso finished seventh with thirty points. Now, I'm not a huge fan of John Verne. Yeah, well, he finished thirteenth with twenty-two points, and Kvyat finished fifteenth with eight points. So, it wasn't a bad season. No, and look, he is a decent driver, but what a poor fucker. Yeah, like if he fell in a barrel full of tits, he'd come out sucking his thumb. Yeah, and I mean, just the the way he's in F1, he's not in F1. He's in F1, they're not in F1. But for Lotus as a team, I think the highlights... Toro Rosso. Uh, Toro Rosso, sorry. Yeah, the, the highlights probably would have been the Australian Grand Prix where they qualified strong and finished 8th and ninth. However, it was the lottery at the first race of the season. You know, some cars, including Red Bull, weren't expected to finish the race. So, I mean, besides that, you'd say Singapore was a strong showing for Jev. He finished 6th and picked up 8 points. But apart from that... They put in consistent drives. Kvyat, I think, was very impressive for a rookie season. I, I thought he showed real true pace, especially in qualifying. Um, he did well at Spa. It was a difficult track where the drivers always love. And to put in a good performance there is can only do good things for him. But also in Abu Dhabi, he qualified fifth, which is just crazy for a Toro Rosso to get up that high. I, I hate saying this, but you haven't seen a Toro Rosso driver like that since Patel. Yeah, that's exactly right. And without the dickhead. Yeah. Uh, fact, or, you know, crashing into someone under a safety car. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think uh, 
I'm a massive Ricardo fan, but I think he's really going to be up against it with Daniel. Yeah, I think it's going to be that's going to be the real battle of pace. I think you obviously got Mercedes, but I think um, the Ricardo versus Kvyat will be much much more closer than Nico and Lewis. I think it's going to be brilliant because uh, you got two very hungry young drivers still trying to prove themselves, and look, two drivers that absolutely deserve to be in F1. They've worked their way through. They've had some really good sponsorship. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but um, you know, they've consistently beaten the guy across the garage. And, um, yeah, they've had two good seasons. and Except for Daniel this year, but, you know, getting rid of both their drivers as well. They're bringing in uh, Max Verstappen and uh, Carlos Sainz Jr. I don't know if his last name is Sainz, but every every time I've heard his name said it's Sainz. I don't know how that makes sense, but whatever. We've had uh, Sainz was uh, Formula Renault 3.5 or... I think the name depends on the commentator, because I know there's still some commentators who call him Ricciardo. Yeah, they're uh, all the Italians, though. No, and some of the English who you yeah. know have occasionally taken the Channel Tunnel yeah. and decide they're now European. <laughs> well, technically they are. They're not part of the European Union, so you know they're about as European Union as we are. Yeah, they're about as European as Tasmania's Australian, really. Kinda. Prob. Uh, I was going to say with less incest, but no, there is the royal family. Yep, yep. No, that's been they're the kind of renowned for that shit. Yeah, and I mean, you'd say Jev's unlucky to to miss well, out on a seat, but where are you going to put him? Yeah. Yeah, um, he he just doesn't have that um, that threat. Yeah, like uh, you see some drivers and they pull off just that one move of the season. You're like, holy fuck, they've got something. Yeah, like uh, and again, Ricardo was famous for that. Those outside passes he did. Yeah, jeez, they had you against he, world champions too. Oh, when he had that move on Alonso. Yeah, or that the battle with Alonso, especially when you see it back and forth and there. You know, he's coming into the turn, I think it was um, uh, Suzuka, and he's coming around the outside, and you just, your, your mouth is just agape that he had the balls to do it. And I think even Alonso sort of waggled the tyres a bit going, nice one, champ. Yeah, and uh, he stuck it out too. It was like behind, and he stayed on the outside, but he knew in two corners time, that's when the overtake's going to happen. Just stick with it, and especially with the aero package then. Well, we'll get to him later. Yeah. But uh, yeah, moving on to Force India, um, we had Nico Hockenborg, Nico Hulkenberg and Sergio Perez. Um, Nico finished at ninth with uh, 96 points and Sergio 10th with 59. I think um, one of the most underrated drivers in F1 is the Hulk. I yeah. think he is a phenomenal Definitely. talent and it astounds me that he missed a season. Yeah, it seems like he's just been, I wouldn't say a victim, but unlucky in circumstantial with contracts and, and where he's situated at the moment because... You remember that he was being considered for the Lotus Drive, which turned out to be a blessing in disguise. He didn't go there, and well, it was yeah. better that he stayed with Force India. But also, he was a chance with Ferrari. He was a chance with McLaren. And also, part of Force India's um, thing is off the track. They're shit. Yeah, but yeah. their ability to pay bills is probably worse than Caterham. Yeah, they're, they're terrible. I mean, yeah. Yet it's been cut and compartmentalized enough that on the track, they're brilliant. Probably because their staff are getting paid. Yeah, but uh, you know. If uh, any F1 teams are listening, maybe pay your staff and you'll see some improvements because when you're like, oh yeah, next week, they tend to just slack off a little bit yeah. or they'll just start stealing shit and going home. You know, All of a sudden, you've got an F1 level garage at home. Uh, you know, Some them probably have already, but uh, you know, when you're commuting in the test car. And, and also, I mean, they might say they're an Indian team, but I don't know if you've heard Vijay Malia speak. <laughs> Sounds English as, and um, all their base is uh, in 
Is it Milton Keynes? I can't yeah, remember. Yeah. It's I'm around the area in the that technology center of the the UK. So I mean, they're repping India, but they may as well be British. And I mean, it's it's yeah. I mean, the highlights were definitely Bahrain, where Perez got a got a podium, and it was a very good drive from Perez. I was one of those ones that wasn't really impressed with his drive in McLaren. However, this season he did did do a lot of good work. He did a lot of shit work too. Just don't get me wrong, but he did do a lot of good things. I think um, Monaco was a was a race where Perez was just a bit too aggressive. He seemed just trying to stick on the inside and then just bore through people. Yeah, look, I I like aggressive drivers and aggressive passing. Monaco is not the track for that yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, you step out by five centimeters and you're in a wall. Yeah. Um, I I I love Monaco and it's absolutely my bucket list to see a race there. I think uh, anyone who has any interest in any open wheel motorsport should see Monaco. Um, but you know. That's just not a track that's given to that sort of um, loose racing. If you're going to make a move, it has to be so perfect. Yeah, and you have to pick where you're going to do it because, I mean, I remember... There's precious few spots. Yeah, coming up to the chicane, he, he'd always try and stick on the inside of the first first move of the chicane to go around the outside of, of the bar. driver. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and the, the bus stop chicane? <clears throat> uh, I can't remember. But um, anyway, you, you stick on the inside, which forces the other driver to um, have to go straight through the chicane, even though you've outbraked yourself, and then that way you're going to try and claim the place. But obviously people are going to try and make the turn, and it's just guaranteed to touch. It's guaranteed yeah. to be an incident. And I mean, you might be able to get away with that once in a race, but you try that every lap, people are going to get pissed off. Yeah, and eventually you find yourself next to Maldonado, yeah. and look, you're both out. Yeah, and I mean, it's like Nelson PK Jr. isn't still here. <laughs> I'd probably take him out too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that being said, Force India did have a good season, I thought. They took the challenge to McLaren, and I think they were ahead for a fair while. It wasn't until McLaren's comeback at the end of the season. So, I mean, that's an improvement, but still not sure what their what their goals are in Formula 1 because, I mean, Vijay Malia certainly has the cash. He has the cash to compete, and he has the cash to compete at the top. It's just a matter of how much he's willing to invest and what their, what their goals are, what they actually want to get out of Formula 1. And, uh, look... I know this might disappoint our Indian uh, listeners, of which I'm sure there are, I hope there is at least one, but uh, you're saying Vijay Malaya isn't so Indian, and look, you know, it's probably a bit harsh, but uh, let's think about it this way, you know, bloke owns breweries, um, can't run an airline to save himself, and uh, doesn't mind uh, just saying, she'll be right, mate, when uh, he owes people money. I reckon he's an Aussie. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right, too. If, if not, he'll probably be here soon. <laughs> just because everyone in the subcontinent owes, uh, he owes money to yeah and, and a lot of their a lot of their pace was down to them having the Merck engine and you could see with a not very sophisticated aero package in in the long tracks with long straights they were they were very superior in in, um, in the speed department oh yeah and look that that's just down to like the Bugatti Veyron effect you can go fast if all you're concerning about is fast in a straight line yeah uh, anytime there's a corner they Handled like an American sports car. Yeah. And, I mean, to be honest, I'm expecting them to take the fight to McLaren again next year. And I would love to see that. Also, I think they'll. there's a chance they'll be up there fighting with Williams as well. Basically, because of the Merck engine, it's only going to get better. But um, from, if one thing we learned from Red Bull's success was that continuity in, in staff is very important. And mm. it seems like they have that. They've got the same drivers next year. Not too much um, um, factory staff movements. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they go. But, yeah, I expect them to do well next year. 
I think going into the fight with McLaren, uh, the one thing that's going to work against them is uh, a bloke called Fernando Alonso. Uh, <laughs> if there's a more talented guy on the grid, I haven't seen him. Yeah. Um, his ability to drive a car to its max, I, I think, and I think a lot of people uh, believe the same, it, it, it's second to none. He yeah. is one of the best of this generation and probably a couple of previous generations too. Yeah, I mean, he could, he could probably win Bathurst in a Datsun 180B. <laughs> with a flat tyre. Yeah. And he'd probably do his own pit stops too. Well, he probably would finish the race, unlike what happened this year. Yeah. Like, You're out of fuel, mate. You're out of fuel. She'll ah. be right, mate. Nah, it's all good. <laughs> this thing running the sniff of an oily rag. <laughs> that was the fucking problem. You had to start, you had to siphon off another bloke. I think he had been sniffing oily rag. That's what went wrong. Well, he was a good holding driver then. <coughs> yeah. Knew how to suck siphon a car. <laughs> all right, moving on. We had McLaren finish fifth with 181 points. We had uh, Jensen finish eighth with 126, and Kevin Magnussen 11th, and he contributed 55 points to the McLaren tally. What an F1 name is Magnussen, though. It just yeah. sounds like it belongs above a garage. Yeah. Magnussen. And um, I think he had a, a good rookie season. I thought he, he did well. Oh, it's just brilliantly. It's a shame that the car wasn't, wasn't up to up to scratch in which he could consistently put it in Q3 and, you know, fight for podiums. But he got one podium in Australia. But apart from that, it was all slim pickings for McLaren. I mean, pre-season, you could see straight away they were going, going to struggle. They were so far off the pace, it was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, they, were, they weren't even tipped to finish the race. And um, to, I mean, they were third and fourth, but with Ricardo being disqualified from the Australian, they got uh, Magnussen picked up a second and Button got his third. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, McLaren was in a rebuilding season this year. Uh, yeah. I think they were just sort of keeping their powder dry until certain people came out of contract. And obviously, uh, confirming Alonso, is he was the best uh, driver of the people who weren't Sebastian Vettel. Yeah. Um, and look, you know, honestly, I would, in all seriousness, I would take Alonso over Vettel simply because he oh, yeah. can drive fucking everything. Um, and look, people disagree. You can't argue with four world titles, but uh, you can't argue they did them all in an Adrian Newey car either. Exactly, I mean, and you can't argue with that, but you can't argue with you know, 11 other drivers saying that... Your peers are like, he's the one who we wish we were able to be. Yeah, and it seemed like this is this year for McLaren was more about organising the back-of-house stuff and getting those affairs in order yeah, as yeah. opposed to performing on the track. I mean, they didn't chase uh, title sponsorship, and I'm sure that had a lot to do with Honda coming on board, and I think Honda have a big say on who gets the title sponsorship, if they have one. Oh, look, I... Undoubtedly. And getting Honda back in, you know, putting the Honda-McLaren combination together that hasn't been seen since the Senna days, um, is phenomenal. Not just in what it makes McLaren, but, you know, they can draw on all their history. And the merchandising alone is going to be fantastic. And plus, Honda want that halo effect. Because now, you look out in the streets and see how many Hondas you see, I guarantee 90% of the Honda Jazz. Yeah, yeah. You know, Decent enough cars, but what's exciting about them? Yeah, not much. They're just cheap, efficient. Yeah, and you know, there's the Prelude, whatever. But now they're bringing a new NSX, um, which, brilliant, brilliant car. Yeah, nice, Um, simple, classic looking. It's a car for drivers. Um, The original was tuned by Etten Center himself. Mm. And, you know, you may as well be getting pieces of the true cross if you're a motorsport person. Yeah. Like, it, it is as close as you'll get to being an F1 driver without having millions of dollars. Yeah. And um, I think 
seems like, I mean, they finally confirmed Jensen Button as their, their other driver to partner Fernando Alonso. It took ages and seemed there was a bit of a tussle between Ron Dennis and Honda and also the other uh, major stakeholders. It seemed that Ron was keen on keeping Magnussen just uh, for purely future direction. And it seems he might have got, not, not out, outvoted, but might have got coerced into taking Jensen. I'm sure he wouldn't he wouldn't be disappointed about that. But um it seems that Ron's sort of trying to firm up his his power within McLaren now. He's trying to buy back the majority stake and take ownership. And I mean if if he's your leader and he's got a vest interest in the financial side of the company, I think that's a good thing. However, Ron um uh, still I think the jury's out. I don't think he is as good as Ross Braun when it comes to uh, leading the team and building a team. However, seems a bit funny they took so long to decide and I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't just Jensen and Kevin that they had their eyes on no I, I think they were looking at a, a, a clearing out uh, like I said a rebuilding season for them I mm. think um, one of Button's problems though is that he is uh, I, I undervalue him constantly because he is so smooth and uh, boring in a way yeah. um, you wouldn't say there's much spectacular about him but what he does he does well uh, yeah. The problem is that once the car is a bit twitchy, he tends to go a bit to water. Um, we've seen random spins. We've seen mm. uh, just uh, inability to really take the race on. And he's just a nice guy. You just oh, want to see him around. Super nice. And I think uh, I think most of the world tends to undersell him. Uh, the UK tends to think he's ridiculously good until Lewis Hamilton started winning again. Yeah. But um, yeah, look, quality driver. Yeah. Uh, his best laps are behind him. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that's unfortunate because he is one of the nice guys. But uh, I think Alonso will pants him this year. I yeah. think it will, it'll be Alonso first, Daylight second, and perhaps Magnuson Button coming up the last. You yeah. know, uh, maybe by halfway through the season, they'll give Button a chance to retire gracefully or something, you know, after Silverstone. Yeah. And I think, it's like, Japanese love Jensen, you know, from his yeah, work with, yep. with Honda when they're a factory team. And so I reckon Honda, their appeal with Jensen in a marketing aspect would have been strong for them. Very much. But also, um, they probably required him to marry his missus. Yeah, but I'm going to put this out there. With Ron Dennis uh, doing a lot of negotiating for the uh, driver's seat, and it's taking a long time, I know Lewis put his contract talks off until the end of the season. And, I mean, team principal's a Canary fox, so... Even though he's, he, he's got a contract and they got contracts or whatever, I wouldn't have been surprised if Ron Dennis was holding out to have a word to Lewis. I mean, I don't think he was ever going to get him, but... Oh, I think that goes both ways, though. Like, if you're Lewis Hamilton, you're fighting for the championship, and there's a chance they might favour the other bloke. Yeah. Especially because uh, Rosberg seems to be the sort of guy that wouldn't let uh, being a nice guy get in the way of being a champion. Yeah. Um, I think uh, Hamilton... He's not silly. He would say, look, uh, lads, I'd have offers on the table, even if he didn't, yeah. and just to make sure he got uh, a decent parity. Because yeah. uh, that's the sort of thing where, you know, you, you want uh, people to think you're in demand, but you don't want them to think you've gone. Yeah, but, but also from, from McLaren's side of thing, especially Ron Dennis, he's very, very intelligent and, and a formidable negotiator, no doubt. And I think knowing Lewis and obviously growing up with him in the McLaren family, and with him being a huge Ayrton Senna fan and them having a yeah. Honda engine, I mean, we saw how excited Lewis was when he got to drive his hero's MP44 on Top Gear. Just that look of oh, excitement yeah. on his face. So 
I wouldn't be surprised if Ron put it to him saying, "Look, we've got a we've got a Honda powered turbocharged McLaren." Yeah. And yeah. here's another thing that I I would love to see. I'd love to see Honda push for the the old school McLaren livery with the red and white colors. I I am amazed that it hasn't happened already. Like yeah. I you know the new McLaren it, it's fine, but you know, we saw what happened when Lotus changed to the old livery, and yeah. it's brilliant. Yeah. It is spectacular. Class the field. I think, uh, look, you don't need to put the Marlboro no. uh, markings on there at all, no. but I think just the, the big red wedges and yeah. the, you know, creamy white base coat. Yeah. Spectacular looking vehicle. Um, yeah. And, and just the it doesn't quite look the same without the massive rear wings they used to have. Or the big fat-ass sticks stuck on uh, the back. <laughs> oh, those things are brilliant. Um but, you know, it it would look spectacular. It would look much better than, like, a, a cheap Mercedes knockoff that it looks like now. Yeah, and, and from a merchandise point of view, I mean, you see that, you instantly think Honda McLaren. Oh, yeah. It's first yeah. thing that comes to your mind. Uh, one of the most famous cars. Uh, you know, there's, you've got the, the Schumacher Benetton, the Renault that drove itself. Yeah. And, you know, obviously all the old school cars, and the Lotus, and the McLaren. Obviously, Ferrari haven't changed their color scheme ever. Yeah. Um because it works for them. and yeah. But, uh, you know, McLaren had that classic look and they moved away from it because of the cigarette sponsorship, I think. But, yeah. um, look, get back to it. Get in there. Yeah. Ron, if you're listening, go back to the old colour scheme. You've got Honda now. You've got everyone back on board. Just do it. Just get in there. You might actually make some money out of it too. Imagine the merchandise. Shit, I'd buy stuff. I couldn't give a crap where McLaren finished next year. You just make fluffy little Fernando Alonso's in red and white livery, <laughs> selling them the Japanese, you'll be set. <laughs> All right, moving on, we've got Ferrari finished fourth with 216 points. We had Alonso just driving way above the car with finished sixth with 161 points. And Raikkonen with a very so-so season finishing 12th with 55 points. Yeah, he just got the impression that he couldn't give a shit. Really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, you know, granted, uh, there's a lot of um, politics at Ferrari, as always, and yeah. they've gone through different, uh, different leadership groups. But, yeah. um, you know, when... They tend to, they don't really know how to handle him. Like he's driving along and they're bugging him with details. He's like, just leave me alone, I'm driving. Yeah. And they need to understand how to handle him. Uh whereas Alonso, he sort of got on board, told him what he wanted, and just went out and drove. Yeah. And you know, drove like he does, uh, in a ridiculously talented fashion. Yeah. And I'm thinking well, Ferrari, no doubt, have instigated a cultural shift in, in their F1 yeah. operation. But not only the F1 operation, it's it's brought across Ferrari. And doing a bit of research, it seems that a lot of the, the changes that they had within um, their board level was more to do with their actual Ferrari businesses, not with Formula One. Because first off, we had uh, Stefano Domenicali. He got he got the ass, and they mm. replaced him with Marco Mariachi. And Mariachi was the... North American salesman for Ferrari. He's one that just made Ferrari dominate the um, United States yeah. and Canada. And um, the problem with Luca de Montezemolo with Fiat uh, Chrysler. You said that weather rather well. Yeah, practice that one. <laughs> and uh, with Fiat Chrysler owning Ferrari, um, Luca de Montezemolo, he was sort of the last bona fide personal friend of Enzo Ferrari and he, he yeah. kept that culture of, of Ferrari true to the Tifosi. I think it was. Uh, the passion they brought, like uh, Ferrari, they made money, yeah. but uh, not as much as you might think, yeah. and nowhere near as much as the the big manufacturers. Yeah, uh, mainly because it was all about the passion. They wanted the 
the road car they made to be so damn good that even people that didn't know cars would look and go, holy shit, yeah. that's something special. And, and it was ages ago where Ferrari, well, Fiat Chrysler, they're getting their ass kicked across markets with, with Fiat and Chrysler yeah. cars. And um, Luca de Montezamolo, he was the one that was always going to keep Ferrari as Ferrari. And when they first pushed to have their production of 6,000 units increased to, I think it was 7,500, uh, Luca, Luca uh, de Montezamolo was the one that said, no, this is not Ferrari vision. We mm. we keep our numbers low. That way we have uh, exclusivity and we have that. And high quality. Yeah, exactly. But it seems that because uh, Chrysler, Fiat are getting their ass kicked across other sports, they were actually looking for Ferrari to have a more... Uh, a cross- halo effect across the board. Yeah, yeah, across the board. They wanted to do kind of like what... Um, Audi did with Lamborghini where they just got yeah. it, stuck the engine in their R4 and started killing it. And Luca de Montezamolo was like, no, that's not Ferrari. That's not Enzo's vision. And in saying that, um, the Ferrari family still own uh, 10% of actual Ferrari. So they do have a, a strong say in what happens. And it seems like uh, Marcione and, and de Montezamolo have never got along. And mm. it seems they they got rid of Domenicali, put in Marco Mariachi, who was a Ferrari salesman, not salesman, but he was their whatever the head person selling Ferraris in yeah, North America yeah. and did very well. So he's that way minded already. And the last person being De Montezamolo, they've given him the ass, and then the, the president of Fra, Fiat Crisis went, yeah, fuck it, I'll take this job. Look, I think you'll see an improvement in the short term, um, yeah. solely because they will be a bit more cost-effective. Yeah. So you'll see a lot more efficiency. Yeah. But uh, I think in the long term, it'll actually work against them slightly in that uh, the passion will go out of it. Yeah. They'll lose- it's designed by pure mathematics uh, with a Ferrari. I mean, you can yeah. if you're making a German car. Yeah. But uh, there needs to be that little bit of stupidity yeah. uh, with the Ferraris. Like, or the Lamborghinis. Like, the new Lamborghinis are brilliant cars. Mm. You know, the the all-wheel drive Gallardo is spectacular. Yeah. But uh, you compare that to the Lamborghini, Lamborghini Countach with the stupid, stupid rear wing of a space shuttle. Yeah. And, you know, useless. And yet... How many kids didn't have that up on their wall? Yeah, exactly. And with Ferrari, I mean, that's what they sell dreams. That's what they do. Absolutely. And, yeah. it, and if anyone can get your dream, it no longer becomes a dream. And everyone looks at the, the stats of a car. Like it can do zero to 100 in this time. Yeah. It, it can handle this. But uh, the one stat that says there's only 10 of these in the world. Oh, shit, yeah. And, you know, the stat that has this has got the prancing horse on the front. Yeah. Because, you know, people love Ferrari. Yeah. I mean,. I've never once seen a McLaren tattoo, but I've seen a fuck ton of Ferrari tattoos. Yeah, generally at soccer games. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so Ferrari, I mean, to be honest, I think next season they might be a... I think they will be a bit better. You will see the first true effects of James Allison's design um, theory coming out in whatever they're going to call next season's car. And... La Ferrari? Yeah, well, whatever they're going to come up with. I'm sure it'll probably just be the... F001, now that Marcion's in charge, is going to be no passion, no more. The FU. Yeah, you're probably right. It'll be something along those lines. And of course, their their driver lineup's going to be a little bit different. They're going to have, instead of having... A twat. Yeah, well, they're going to have five world champions in their team. Not world champions, but five world championships in their team, as opposed to three at the moment. So, and what do we make of Vettel coming across? Look, without any... um hate towards him which uh, I'm sure he has more than enough uh, I think it makes sense because he's he's done everything that can be done with Red Bull yeah um, and there's always that uh, that cloud saying that he only did it in, in a newy car 
Yeah. And I think a lot of that's justified, to be honest. Yeah. But uh, we'll find out this year. If uh, he gets pants by Raikkonen, then obviously he was uh, a lucky guy, as lucky as you can be winning four world championships. Yeah. But uh, if it turns out he's able to keep it with him, we'll be like, well, you know, we'll wait and see. See what this guy's got. Um, but if he streaks Raikkonen, you've got to say, well, maybe he is as good as he thinks he is. Yeah, and I, and I think a lot of uh, another big thing, important thing with uh, Vettel going to Ferrari is just the secrets that he will bring across to Ferrari from Red Bull. You know, if you can't spend that long within a team and not understand a lot of fundamentals about the car, about why they're getting their advantage and how the car drives... I think also, it, it's not just that. It's about how different things interact. Like, how does the design team interact with the testing team? How yeah. does the wind tunnel uh, team interact with the engineering team? Like, all those little things that are pieced together uh, bit by bit by teams, uh, they tend to fall apart when team change. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In uh, ownership or in... Uh, leadership or even in staff and Ferrari's gone through a lot of staff recently Yeah, so I think they're almost relearning how to work an F1 team together Yeah, um, but having a four time world championship come in and say well here's how we did it there it's a very good starting spot and I think a lot of the a lot of the uh, tri- not tricks but the way that Newey was able to do a lot of what he does apparently it's just from he's a genius at packaging apparently Oh, Apparently, yeah. fitting all the components in a logical manner, which means you can have more areas to work with aerodynamics, you know, has a huge effect and with balance and everything else and cooling. And obviously, Vettel is one of those people that have seen a Red Bull with the skin off. He knows what it looks like yeah. underneath there. I think, uh, and that worked against him last season, or at least it worked, worked against Weber. Um, Weber, being the, the larger man, took up more of the cockpit space, yeah. um, which Sebastian Vettel didn't. And the result of that was that the extra space that Vettel didn't take up allowed more cooling. Whereas Weber tend to fry his um, connected recovery system quite a bit more often than Vettel did. But, you know, one situation where being a bigger bloke is massively disadvantaged is in the cockpit of a car. Yeah, and especially where, I mean, <clears throat> the new engines, like, like everyone knows, they weigh a heap more than last season, but the, the weight of the car, the allowed maximum weight, or the allowed minimum weight, didn't increase by enough for the drivers to maintain a healthy weight and still be able to drive un- unimpeded by their weight. Yeah, I mean, you get to end up with retired jockeys coming yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, next year for catering, we could see Peter Dinklage, <laughs> which uh, I think would actually be fucking spectacular. Yeah, that'd be... I mean, I'd just Team love to hear his... racing. love to hear his radio transmissions more than anything. <laughs> and that's the other thing I'm going to say. If maybe for the coming F1 season, we should create a Kimi Raikkonen drinking game. 
for qualifying and race if you want to back it up. Ooh, how would that work? Um, oh, fuck knows. We'll discuss the details further further in the season. I think it'd be more season. fun to have a Seb Vettel drinking game. Yeah, but Seb and fun just don't really go in the same sentence. And that's what I mean. Like, you dress it up. Because, um, you know, he's going to be in the same uh, team as Raikkonen. There could be some nice sledging going on there, I reckon. Yeah. Or it could be a frosty relationship by the end of it. Oh, it, it will be. Absolutely. Neither of those two guys like to lose. And I can imagine Raikkonen would love to give him an absolute hiding. Uh, Alonso he's not too fussed about because, you know, Alonso is a ridiculously talented driver. and um, He's driven, but he knows how to, you know, play poker with the lads off the field kind of thing. Yeah, Alonso is very gifted at the political game. We think we saw that at McLaren. Oh, very much so. All right, so moving on, we had Williams finish third with 320 points. We had Valtteri Bottas in the, in the Williams finish fourth with 186 points, and Massa finishing seventh with 134 points. For my money, Bottas was a standout of the season. Yeah, like yeah. Uh, he drove that car so damn well, and yeah. was constantly threatening podiums. Uh, you know, got a couple, but um, oh, I, I, it's only a matter of time before he gets his first win. Yeah, yeah, I, I think everyone agrees with that. And you could say, providing he gets the right car, he's definitely got what it takes to be a champion. All it's going to take now is uh, let's see how he does in those uh, unpredictable races. Because, yeah. you know, some yeah. element of luck always comes into it. You know, someone pits at the wrong time, someone uh, changes tyres when it uh, to wet tyres when it comes out dry. Yeah. Bottas just needs a, a good strategy, and he'll be on the top step. Yeah, like that's the end it. of next season. He, he can do the job. And obviously, Williams, their, their first season back with, uh, uh, well, I don't know if it's the first time, but they had a Mercedes engine for this season. And you could just see whatever they've done there, whatever they're spending their money on or developing, they're, they're kicking goals. Like Claire oh, Williams yeah. is just doing a genius job down there. And one of the things I want to talk about was um, I love the way that Claire Williams has handled that team, especially with the, the little bit of controversy they had where they told Massa that uh, Valtteri is Bottas is faster than you. <laughs> exact same words that Ferrari used to do with Alonso. And yeah, um, I think that uh, that should have been handled a bit differently. Yeah, but the good thing is that Claire came out and she said, no, you're right, that should have been handled differently. We made a mistake, we fucked up, and we've had a talk about it, and, and next time we, we've got to fix that and do it properly. And from a, from a fan point of view, that's what you want to see because usually team principals, they defend every decision to the death like a politician. Oh, yeah. And so to see someone go, you know, no, actually, you guys are right. We fucked up. We apologize. That can only win you fans. I have massive respect for Claire Williams. I think that we need 10 more of her. Yeah. Because um, she respects the sport and she loves her team. And you know, being the daughter of Frank Williams, obviously, yeah. uh, with your name on the side, tends to uh, create that effect. But uh, I think so many of the team principals see it as a job. Yeah. And as a stepping stone to something more. Um, you know, Christian Horn has been accused of that. Yep. Um, being Bernie's anointed successor by Bernie himself. I don't think Bernie even has that power. No, but, no, he doesn't. Uh, Bernie's lucky to hold on to that job himself, I think. Yeah, and, you know, I think Bernie thinks he's just a couple of seasons away from having a drive himself. Uh, you know, based on the amount of money he could bring, he probably would get a, get a gig yeah. too. But, uh, yeah, look, I, I massively applaud Claire Williams because she has just shown such passion and determination and willingness to take the hits, just to put a hand up and say, yeah, well, look, we fucked up. Um, we're going to learn and move on. And I think um, it's shown with uh, Bottas and Massa how 
You know, Massa can be a bit flaky at times. Like, mm. quality driver hasn't quite been the same since he took that bit of suspension at the scone. Yeah. But, uh, look, you know, deserves to be on the grid. I don't think there's any argument there. And they've managed to keep uh, him and Bottas from openly killing each other. Yeah. Which, uh, in an ego-based team like uh, like an F1 team, is not an easy task. Yeah. But uh, they managed to keep pushing forward, which the other teams haven't done. Yeah, and it seems that... You don't hear much bad news out of Williams. It seems they've got everyone working there effectively. Everyone's happy with the job they're doing. There's there's no dissent amongst amongst the ranks. You know, there's team and bowl accounts from the team. I remember hearing interviews with some of the team. I think it might have been Sam Michael or someone. Um, everyone's really happy to work there. They're really inspired. And from what I've heard too, that the loyalty goes both ways. Like the the team gives people time off if they need it. You know, not a shit ton, obviously, because this is a pretty competitive field. But uh, they tend to work with the team. Instead of uh, at other teams, it's like you make a mistake and you're gone. Yeah. Uh, With Williams, it's like not only uh, are they willing to help people um, do their job the best they can, Hmm. they'll upskill them, they'll train them, they'll uh, apprentice them to other people. They'll keep, uh, keep promoting from within as much as possible rather than bringing skills in from outside. Yeah. And, I mean, they are very well-known outside of Formula 1 for their uh, technology, technological development with the Williams factory, whatever they have going. They always win awards for... I don't think it can be understated how important that is to not just the team, but to the automotive industry. Yeah, um, all racing, yeah. Not just racing, in road cars. In the next maybe five, six years, we're going to see hybrids that don't suck. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, you look at the the Tesla Roadster, I think it's a brilliant car, if you want yeah. to spend 120 grand. But uh, you're going to have cars that have, you know, a, a moderately powerful petrol engine, mm. uh, coupled with a, an energy recovery system, which uh, will harvest the energy from braking, use it for acceleration, and geez, that's going to be fun. Yeah, and the thing is, on that, when that comes about, what's going to be the signal for when you're at the front of the traffic lights and you want to drag the person next to you? You can't rev the engine because there's not no revs. Good point. Um, what's going to be the signal? Flash the lights, put the indicator on. They've probably got a horn. I don't know. Bear ass. Who? Oh, no, you've got a lot of electricity power. Um, I did see the new Audi concept had those um, flexible LEDs. Ah, yeah. So that they the brake lights ran all the way along the side. Oh, I think yeah. you just have that, you know, just have a big picture of a, Middle a finger. dick and a, <laughs> a woman with an arrow saying, your mum. And, uh, you know, that could be the signal. Just, uh, I boned your mum, let's race. Yeah, 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 that's true, that's true. I mean, it won't work if you and I are at the lights, because it's fucking raw. It's but... a bit, bit weird. Yeah, anyway, Red Bull, finished second, <laughs> 405 points, and obviously we had Daniel Ricciardo finishing third with 238 points, had three wins. And... Yeah, the only non-Mercedes dude to win that, yeah, uh, win a race, let alone three. Yeah. Yep, the only other person besides... Uh, uh, the two Mercedes drivers, and we had Vettel in fifth with 167 points. And no wins. No. Um, yeah, look, not bad for a soft drinks company. Yeah, exactly. And you can just see that, um, like I was saying before, the the continuity of staff contributed a lot to their success, but with the, the new rules just caught them off guard, they were still pushing right to the very end to fight for the World Championship last year, and they were definitely on the back foot from the start of the season. I think also... Red Bull have been in the hunt for the championship for the last five years, yeah. Um, if not a little bit longer. And because of that, they haven't been able to work on next season's car partway through the season like some of the other teams have. Yeah, Like uh, Mercedes, they only came into it the last couple of years. 
uh, as serious drivers' championship competitors. And last year, yeah, year before, nah. Yeah, um, way off. And, you know, before that, they weren't really there. But that was their, their whole goal was to be successful when the new engines come about. Exactly, exactly. Um, but without that uh, ability to start working on the next car early, you know, with all your top-level staff, yeah. uh, they haven't really had the same uh, momentum yeah. that some other teams have had. Um, I think Red Bull are going to still be strong next year. Yeah. But they're going to have to innovate. Um, they they can't do what everyone else is doing because their power plant sucks. Yeah. Uh, and there's no way Mercedes is going to give them one. Yeah, but they've been nominated as the factory team for Renault now, so the homogamation with, with the chassis should be a lot better integrated. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, they've pretty much gone to Renault and said, look, this is what you're going to do. Yeah, if you don't and, like it, then we're out. And Renault need to. Because, yeah. uh, look, do you remember the last Renault car you saw and thought, oh, I want that? Um, no, no. Could you name one? No. I know there is one. I know there is one. I can't remember Yeah, I only know is. there is one because of uh, Gran Turismo 5. Yeah, maybe it was that. But um, it was, I think it was a concept. Yeah, and well, Renault, I mean, they were good when they actually had their own cars and uh, Fernando being pretty average and Red Bull their advantage was always in arrow but I think we'll find next season they're losing a lot of staff we've had uh, Peter Prodromu moving to McLaren he was the head aeronautics at at Red Bull you've got Newey taking a step back although I mean Newey's always going to have some input into the F1 car but he's doing a few other challenges he won't be at every race so he's having a less of an effect and you've got Vettel moving to Ferrari he'll take a lot of secrets with him as well so I think you'll see the advantage they had in Aero will not be as big but that being said anything they do that's advantageous tends to get banned anyway so yeah very true I mean a lot of people um, say Red Bull cop the the short end of the stick a few times and I, I think that is true like I remember a few years back with the F duct yeah or the E duct it turned into yeah. and uh, you know uh, it was Mercedes that came up with that, I believe. And yeah. uh, everyone else aped it. But uh, you couldn't do it in the same way because it was integrated in the chassis and the yeah. chassis was uh, frozen. But uh, that was allowed to continue. Uh, they just said that was fair play, even yeah. though you got a driver driving with the back <laughs> of his hand on the side of the chassis rather than on the wheel. Yeah, um, I, I was astounded that was allowed to go on. But, yeah, me uh, too. Look, that's different with the leg, when they had the leg um, on the side there. Yeah. But uh, look, you know, that's what happened and things went on. But um, I think Red Bull will have to do a few clever innovations. Yeah. Which, uh, those could be just two things Newey thinks of while he's having a shit one day. And I mean, they they have got got a a head of the curve there with uh, them being busted for the little springs in there, one of the elements on the front wing, which allowed a bit of flex. Mm. And I mean, the thing is, F1 isn't about sticking to the rules it's about breaking the rules and then being smart enough to, to be able to explain why it's okay you break the rules well that's kind of one of the things too it's not about openly breaking the rules it's trying to find inconsistencies in the rules that you can exploit yeah so that's why it's a formula exactly uh, and you have to you have to do that if if you're a, a car designer or even yeah. a racer like uh, technically anytime uh, four wheels are off the track that's illegal. Hmm. And yet it happens all the damn time. Yeah. Um, and if you're not, you're not supposed to go into runoff areas either, like in Monaco, in, um, in, at the end of the tunnel there. Yeah. But uh, look, if it's that, or you end up giving up a place, you're going to take that. That's and if, do, if you yeah. get the call saying, give the place up, so yeah. you've lost nothing. 
And I think in regards to the ingenuity shown by designers, I think unless there is a safety concern or there is legit concern that this is going to ruin the season because no other teams can do it, I think that's a fair case for parts being banned, but they should be allowed in the next season. I don't think it should just be a blanket ban on you know ingenuity mm. and, and cleverness. Oh, yeah, have at it. Um, I think one of the most famous ones of that was uh, Brabham. Yeah. With the sucker car. I, you know, the only car ever to have an undefeated record. Which was actually managed by Bernie Eccleston that season. Yeah, and you know, uh, he was the one of the ones campaigning saying, no, no, it's a cooling fan that's uh, cooling the engine by sucking the air out from underneath the car. Yeah, well, that is actually hot air under the car. I remember seeing seeing the theory behind that and actually got approved for for their pre-season testing and they had, uh, their radiator was behind the cockpit Mm. and they had a fan, suction fan at the back of the car and what they were explaining that it did was it sucked air over the top of the driver and into the little vents behind the driver cockpit and then through the radiator out the back, which it did do. Also... They sucked the air out from a chute underneath the car. Yeah. And originally they said, no, that's fine. All right, you can have it. And then the first test came around and they just dominated everyone. They just stomped on it. Well, there's still footage you can see on YouTube and you just see the car squat down. And just look at the car. It looks fucking nasty. Yeah. There's a big ass fan on the back and you're looking at it going, that's a car or a rocket ship or just some mix in between. Yeah. And that's the thing. People complain saying, oh, there's stones kicked up, whatever. Yeah. The the fan wasn't going fast enough for that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. because they, these cars are traveling at several hundred kilometers an hour. Hmm. For you to have any velocity at all, it has to be going several hundred kilometers an hour the other way. Yeah. Uh, to, for it to have any meaningful velocity, yeah. you'd have to have a 400 kilometer hour phone with, uh, fan, which would be a rocket. Yeah. And the thing is, if there's stones on the, on the, on the course, just your normal ground effect from uh, aerodynamics will kick those stones up oh, yeah. at the back of the car. We look at all the marbles in it flying out everywhere. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a reason they're not on the racing line, even though the tyres just go on thin tracks. It's because the the ground effect is so pronounced that they just fire everything off. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so, yeah, so I think, yeah, I'm against this real heavy-handed approach on ingenuity, especially Bernie being the boss, and he was in teams that did such things, trying to get advantages. Uh, not that it's really probably Bernie's call, but then again, Bernie's sort of lost his way. If it was him, we'd be driving around with sprinklers on or some shit. Yeah, he has some weird fucking ideas. I think he's getting to the point where he's just losing ideas. Maybe he's just losing his fucking mind. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's probably not far from kicking the bucket, but we digress. I think so, he's going in for Pope next year. <laughs> there's there's not a vote on. I think uh, Pope Frank's probably safe for a while, but I don't think Bernie realises. And I mean, the Vatican's got enough money for Bernie to be Actually, interested. you know what? You know what? Mobile racing. That would fucking rock. <laughs> and he could have the fucking sprinklers and shit, and then you could have some fucking um, crazy ass bastard on a hill with a sniper rifle there's your fucking entertainment yeah I mean that could be like the, the warm up race to the main event kick the dust off the track oh, that'd be brilliant wet it down a bit so Red Bull we've got uh, Kvyat and uh, obviously Ricardo, the main drivers next year and I think this is going to be the battle to watch I think Nico and Lewis there's a bit of a gap between their both abilities but I think Ricardo and Kvyat are both still young, both hungry, both proves they've got the pace and both can have a kick-ass car. The main problem I see here is that um, Mercedes and Red Bull really need to swap one driver each. Yeah. Uh, solely because in Red Bull, you've got two nice guys. Mm. Like, who can dislike Ricardo or Kvyat? Uh, they're both top yeah. blokes. Uh, whereas Mercedes have got two twats. Yep. Um, Lewis Hamilton, you know, when he's winning, he's a whining bitch. And when he's losing, he's worse. Yeah. And Nico Rosberg, I don't imagine he's 
really any better. No, I mean, Rosberg, he's a funny one to claim the old German team and then Lewis coming out saying that he always stood next to the Monaco flag when he was racing. Well, yeah, you know, when you're... <laughs> it, it sounds like Germany's doing in Australia there. You wave at the country while driving by and claim some sort of heritage, all of a sudden we adopt you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, until you turn out to be a tit and then you can fuck right off. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I think we've sort of disowned Mel Gibson by now. Yeah. Uh, you know, at least his later years. Rupert you know. Murdoch, he's, yeah, I mean. Murdoch can fuck right can off. Fuck um, off, who knows, he's got, oh, got the rights to Formula One. Jeez, I'm on the, uh, on the hit list now. Fuck him. <laughs> but, um, and, you know, if he wants to feel like he's German, that's fine, rather than pretending he's from Monaco. Yeah. But it uh, doesn't make him not a twat. Yeah. Um, you can be a German without being a dickhead. You can be from Monaco without being a dickhead. Uh, he just seems to be abusing the privilege of both countries and turning it into a bit of a knob fest. Yeah. And it's a nice segue into Mercedes finishing on top, winning constructors and drivers, finishing with 701 points. Obviously, Lewis first scored 384 points, 11 wins. And Rosberg, 317 points with five wins. Up until Brazil... Um, Ricardo had the same amount of wins as Rosberg. Yep. yep. Um, you know, back when you were still in it. In what I think everyone will agree is not as good a car. No, definitely not. I mean, there is a, a vast canyon between the ability of the Mercedes and the, the ability of everyone else. Here's an interesting fact for you. 701 points is the most points ever scored by a team in a single season. They, uh, they passed Red Bull's tally of 650 in 2011, where Vettel dominated. And interestingly, McLaren's nineteen ninety eight season, nineteen eighty eight season, netted one hundred ninety nine points. But the scoring system was uh, nine six four three two one. Yeah, rather than twenty five for a win like you do. Yeah, now. and fifty in the last race were the bollocks oh, that was. Yeah, look, I I understand what Bernie's trying to do with that, uh, trying to yeah. still keep excitement, uh, but it sucks. Yeah, yeah, it's just a shit idea because you don't want to have the rest of the race lead up to it irrelevant knowing that it's going to come down to that last race 50 points because yeah. you, you lose the, the value of the races leading up to it knowing that it's not going to make a difference on it's going to come down to where they finish in the last race that's it look if you want to do it that way if you want to have double points have double races yeah, yeah. have two 30 lap races yeah. and you know they've got the same set of tyres for each and yep. then you award points based on that and then yeah. have a have a, a grid based on where you finished and look I would be I think that'd be brilliant yeah, yeah. I think uh, you know have a double header uh, on the same day, so the cars have to get turned around. I think you'll see a lot more strategy. People will be deciding whether they want to win one, both, uh, try and go easy, or try and keep their power to dry for the second race, or just burn it. But uh, there you go, Bernie. I've just saved F1 for you. Um, you know, you're welcome. If you want to drop by any time, give me a billion dollars, I'll take it. Yeah. And so here's a thought that I had. I think, well, I think Bernie might have come up with his idea about giving out medals instead of points and shit like that. But I think I think the race wins should come before the points tally. I think the points tally should be a, a countback system. I think if you win the most races, you are the champion. You mean like um like a league table sort of thing where it goes by wins then by percentage? Yeah, I think I think if you've won the most races, you're the best driver. There's you know, no I, doubt about that. I don't disagree. And I, I just think it it would have been such a tragedy if Lewis won ten races for the season if he didn't win the last race. He won ten for the season to Nico's six and wasn't the champion. It just seems like it wouldn't be right. Yeah, and um. Well, it happens in all forms of motorsport with points. Uh, hmm. I remember a couple of years ago, uh, a driver won V8 Supercars without winning a race. Yeah, that's right. Uh, was, I, I want to say Courtney. Yeah, well, probably. I can't even remember. It's been a while since I followed. I think the last time I followed V8s was when um, Ambrose was still driving. 
Yeah, because you're always wondering who's he going to punch on with. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Him and Russell Ingle with the side of the road. Oh, look. Waving a fist at each other. I think those two blokes just like a bit of biff. Uh, yeah. And they seem like sort of guys where they'd punch on there and then afterwards have a bit of a coldie. Yeah, yeah. And then punch on a bit more after that. So, yeah, yeah. So I think that the race wins, they they should be more important than your eventual points tally, in my opinion. And I think the points tally can be a count back for positions. Yeah, look. I actually agree with that. Um, I think if you're standing on the top step of the podium, you're the better driver on the day than everyone else. If you have more yeah. better days than everyone else than anyone else, yeah. you're the better driver of the season. Um, and I think it's important to have points. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, especially the lower teams, they need to be able to yeah. rate how they're going uh, amongst their peers and everything. Yeah. And, you know, they've got plenty of other math to think about. Don't make them work out themselves. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you win the most races, you are the winner. That's and if it. that means the season's over by, you know, round 13, yeah, because you've got 13 wins, so be it. And, uh, and I think... You're fighting out for second. And two points that it'll, it'll change at, at the, the top of the field is that uh, people will fight for race wins. There's no, look, I'm in third, my tyres aren't so... You need to win that race to win a championship. And also, it means that team orders might not really play as much a part because... If your your principal is telling you that you can't overtake the, your teammate in front of you, and you've got to fight for a championship, and you have to win to get that championship, you're not going to listen to your team say that. You're going to have to try and fight and overtake and get the win. Are you suggesting a, a driver would refuse team orders? Well, no, they just have really bad hearing at times. And <laughs> they they might not I can't hear a, you. Yeah. <gasps> no, no, I understand. <laughs> but uh, no, actually, I think uh, for the championship, it shouldn't even go to points at all. Yeah. If two drivers have the same amount of wins for the whole season, it's a dogfight. <laughs> uh, that'll make Abu Dhabi exciting. Can you imagine that shit? It's just two drivers on the track. Uh, they start uh, cat chasing mouse. They've got two laps, and then they swap, <laughs> oh, and they keep going until something is overtaken. Just have a Rochambeau on the podium or something. Yeah, uh, can you imagine Rosberg and Hamilton? That'd be the girliest fucking fight ever. Yeah, I mean, you just hope it'd be like, like the old wrestling days where both of them go over the rope at the same time, just send them off into the crowd. Uh, turn into Rochambeau. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about is Bernie losing the plot. He's getting getting on the old fella, and there's no doubt he's done well. Well, actually, there's a bit of doubt. But he has done good things for Formula One, done a lot of shit things for it as well. But his comments about we don't need young people to follow Formula One because they don't spend money. Yeah, I, I mean, I think um, a lot of that is he has a lot of people around him who just tell him yes. And I think at 80 years old, he wants to make money now. <laughs> yeah, not, he doesn't have a lot of time years. to spend. And, you know, is daughters don't buy crystal baths uh, with their own money. Yeah. That's what it is. They've got, well, I don't want to say cocaine habits, but uh, let's just say they have expensive tastes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you've got a swimming pool dedicated to cocaine. Yeah. Well, <laughs> most people use mirrors. They use Picassos. But, uh, you know, I should think that was Paris Hilton. No, that was, no, that was um, Donatello Versace's daughter, I think. Holy one of those crap. No wonder her face is fucked up. Yeah, yeah. yeah she, she looks like that, uh, the female Muppet in the band. Uh, I can't remember that. I was too young for that. Uh, her that. name's Susie Lips or some shit. I can't remember. Susie Lips. Speaking of Susie's, Susie Wolf. She's got the she's got a, the official Williams test driver role with NASA taking up the Sauber seat. Yeah, and uh, I think a, a big telling thing there, and... Look, I think there should be more women in F1, especially in the cockpit. Yeah. But they've still got to earn their way. Yeah. Like uh, when she said, oh, the super license so hard. It took me what? How many tries did she have? Oh, it took her months. Yeah. Like, And then you got uh, young guys like Kavit. 
Yeah. Turn up, afternoon, done. Yeah, to do it in a testing day or something like that, just so we could race this season. Yeah, exactly. Like, it astounds me that they're allowed to be on the road, let alone <laughs> race on the fucking thing. Yeah. And if you want a female driver, there are many better ones out yeah, there. Yeah, there are some really good drivers out there. And, you know, not even just the your Danica Patrick's or whatever. Like, she's not coming to F1. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. She's got a, a brilliant career and fair play to her. Yeah. But there are so many other female drivers who have, oh, I don't know, maybe podium to race. Yeah. Like yeah. If you've never won even an amateur race, you've got no business in F1. Yeah. And um, speaking of that, Haas joining F1 in 2016. They've, I think they've made the smart decision and not tried to rush onto the grid in 2015 and pretty much try and burn as much cash as they can in the process. I think they've taken a smart decision of... Um, of taking their time and assessing what they're going to do. And they, they've also said that they are going to have a European base as well as their base in North Carolina. And, I mean, we've seen it we've seen it fail so many times before with Americans trying to get into F1. And there seems to be, not, not hatred, but a lot of sort of disdain for America entering the Formula 1 market. But in fair, Formula 1 has showed America a lot of disdain too. This like, is true. Uh, with the recent... Um, um, New Jersey Grand Prix falling through and look I think that would have mm. been spectacular yeah I think there are some beautiful Grand Prix I think uh, Melbourne has a fantastic uh, uh, skyline when mm. it's you know you see the whole when city you can see it. light up and everything you know when when there's not uh, rain clouds everywhere but I think um, just driving with the Manhattan skyline in the background uh, it's, it's a race that everyone will watch you know granted over in Australia we have to watch it at 4 fucking a.m. or some bullshit yeah but uh, you'd, you'd still watch it on delay well, apparently, Vegas is pushing for a race. Um, the might be the Mirage, I think. The, what the owners are looking to be the head sponsor. And Bernie said that the only condition they've got is that it has to be on the Vegas Strip. has to has to include the Vegas Strip. Yeah, I think that's actually in their laws that it won't. But uh, like anything in Vegas, uh, you got the cash. <laughs> they've got the time to listen. Uh, yeah. I think another problem with that, though, is that Vegas tends to do things its own way. Mm. and Bernie tends to do things his own way. And if the two aren't perfectly aligned, uh, it'll fall through. Yeah, and I mean, the last time they had a race, I think it was in a car park or something like that. It was just ridiculous. Short little box circuit. Yeah. And the other thing with um, people who have disdain for Americans entering Formula 1, I think that would be the best thing to get Formula 1 back up and on off the ropes, so to speak. Because if you've got a team that you hate and they're doing very well, it's good to have rivalries for sport to, to thrive and to flourish. Well, that's why uh, you see the Ferrari, McLaren, Williams rivalry. I mean, Williams has died off recently, hmm. but uh, I guarantee you every time a Ferrari driver or a McLaren driver see the other gearbox in front of them, they want that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if they don't, their damn tr- principal does. Yep. And and also, this will build the American market because there are a lot of... America's got some fantastic tracks there. Some really fan, I think Austin's a sensational track. I'm really impressed with... I mean, it's pretty much the only tilt circuit that I like. Yeah, and I know uh, there, there are 10,000 reasons why it can't happen, but yeah. how much would you love to see F1 going around Laguna Seca? Yeah, exactly. Just through that corkscrew. And I don't yeah. think you would ever... I don't think you can guess how that would happen. Mm. Uh, but just seeing what a car with that amount of downforce and straight line speed would do through that twist, yeah, uh, I, I think it would blow people away. Because uh, you see, you see, like the um, Corvette uh, CZ or C6, yeah, CZ6, C, uh, C6R, uh, go through that thing, and it just sticks. But an F1 is just a whole another class, and I think people would just expect it to fly off into space and it wouldn't. I, it would stay grounded so beautifully. Yeah, and it'd be one of those corners where 
Whoever's got the biggest balls is going to make up time in that corner, regardless of what car you got. Yeah, and I think uh, it hasn't gone out of F1, but uh, drivers are so assured that the car will stick these days. Yeah, uh, a lot of the mental games have gone out of it. Yeah. Um, so just having the drivers be challenged with their own fear, because mm. uh, these guys do thousands of hours of testing, of practice, of uh, you know even simulation. Yeah. That they know they know the track. But uh, if if you drive a track on a PlayStation versus doing it in a car where you might get airborne, yeah, it's a different ball game. Yeah, and um, the other the other thing is that uh, with Haas joining, I know they keep in close quarters with Mario Andretti, and Mario Andretti's a fantastic guy. He's a legend of the sport, and he's really um, he's really interesting, interesting character, and interesting with with the way he speaks and what he has to say on Formula One. And mm-hmm. I mean, Formula One is only better for having people like Murray and Dreddy around. Yeah, I I think uh, he's currently putting a lot of resources into Formula E. Yeah, uh, he's got uh, a, a good team there that's had some good results. And uh, I I think um, look, one doesn't preclude the other. I think Formula E has a lot to teach Formula One. Yeah, and vice versa. Uh, I think um, Formula E is doing well by going to places F one doesn't at the moment. Yeah, like uh, we just had the race in uh, Punta del Este in Uruguay. And I think that was a spectacular race. I think it's kind of funny seeing drivers pull in and change cars. Yeah, but uh, it's amazing how quickly you get used to it. Yeah, and if you if you think about if people with F one budgets uh, approach Formula E, they'd have that battery situation sorted out in no time. Look, it will happen, uh, especially with the massive push towards uh, battery power. And you're seeing now like the gigafactories that uh, Tesla have put together. Yeah, where that's what they're doing. They're building better batteries. Yeah. So, uh, just like with computers, how every twelve months they get uh, double the speed. I think you'll start seeing that sort of technological curve uh, yeah. happening. Uh, the cost will be prohib- prohibitively high initially. Yeah. But uh, just like you know, having a iPhone would have cost you a million bucks back in the eighties. These days, you can pick up a for a couple hundred like a week's wage for some people yeah yeah exactly and um, I think Formula E the actual racing has been really interesting been really exciting well yeah it does take a moment to get used to the sound though yeah. uh, look, I'm not going to lie you, you kind of hear that whine and you it, it sounds a little bit remote control car yeah it, it does actually or Skeletrix yeah like those old but, tracks uh, again that's something they'll work on um, mm-hmm. and you are there for the racing yeah uh, if you wanted sound you'd be at a concert and if you look at the grid the drivers there's a lot of fucking talent on that grid oh shit yeah and uh, like <laughs> again Jev that poor bastard yeah. he was leading that race <laughs> all day podium uh, pole position uh, leading going nuts brilliantly um, and then he ended up falling a little bit behind and then challenging for the lead I think he actually uh, took the lead and then the car died on him yeah he had a fan boost to, to uh, yeah they as got well. the fan boost system I forgot yep. about mentioning that uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, you can actually hashtag fan boost and whatever driver you want, and they get a bit of extra squirt. Uh, unfortunately for Jev, he used his, and that extra squirt might have actually killed his car. But uh, look, that's the game you play. Um, that's what goes on. Yeah, that's what makes it interesting. And uh, I mean, he's been screwed over by everyone. He may as well get the fans to give him one. Yeah. Uh, the one thing that I saw that stuck out, though, was uh, you know, people talk about uh, Formula E saying, oh, it's a gimmick, it's this, that. Those guys race their guts out and yeah. I saw uh, Matthew Brabham the grandson of uh, yep. Jack Brabham I you think know. he's in the Andretti isn't he yeah yeah he is yeah. and uh, look if, if there's anyone who's got a, a greater legacy to live up to I've never heard of them yeah uh, 
uh, simply because there's plenty of F1 champions who've had kids, mm. and F1 champions who've had kids that become champions, like, uh, you know, Hill, uh, Villeneuve, but uh, none of them ever did it in a car they built. Yeah, that's exactly so, right. You know, it, imagine coming home to your dad, Dad, I'm an F1 champion, you know, world champion. Like, All right, did you build the car? No? Yeah. Then fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I fucking raised a girl. <laughs> <laughs> go go show your mum. But uh, look, Brabham is, you know, especially in Australia, the ultimate mm. name in F1. And if if you follow F1, you know who Jack Brabham is. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he, uh, his sons, um, especially David, had great success in motor racing, yep. especially in Le Mans. Yep. But uh, you see Matthew Brabham driving his ass off in Formula E, and he was having a brilliant race. And then crashed out. It was, it was uh, his mistake. What I saw, he just took too much curve. Yeah. And he was sitting in the uh, the slip lane, gutted. He was just sitting down, uh, helmeted, head in hands, and well, I don't know if he's weeping or not. But uh, you could tell by his body language, he was utterly gutted. Yeah. Uh, and that's how much that race means to him. Because for him, especially, this is like this is a big step for him being open wheelers going up against oh, yeah. class drivers um, I mean for all uh, for all Brabham's legacy uh, not a lot of it was in cold hard cash yeah 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 exactly well th- they had that that recent push to crowdfund a Brabham team back onto the grid yeah and I don't think that it actually worked because I mean, uh, you know one thing to throw in 10 bucks to get a sticker there's yeah. another thing to throw in 50 bucks a week yeah uh, with a million people yeah, doing I mean, it. I mean, trying to crowdfund a couple hundred million <laughs> yeah, is it, a tough ask. It, it, it is. Um, you know, even if you were sponsored by the whole municipality of Monaco, you'd still struggle. Mm. But, um, look, no, people just want to see it happen. Yeah. Uh, look, uh, if if Bernie comes through with his uh, billion dollars to me, uh, I'd probably just get that working. So, again, Bernie, I've solved your F1 issues twice tonight. Um if you want to make that uh, payable to me directly, I'll sort that out. Yeah, well, I mean, he got his start in Formula 1 with Brabham. Well, was Brabham? Might have, no, it might have been someone else and then bought Brabham. No, it was with Tolman, I think. Tolman, bought, believe, yeah. bought Brabham. So, I mean, in his wheel, he could, you know, leave them a bit of cash, set him up, uh, put him back on the grid. Knowing Bernie, he might get buried with it. This is true. This is true. Or um, he might get buried with his missus as well. Who knows? And yeah, so I think with Formula E, it's really good to see the crossover with Formula One drive series from the ground and, and trying to build it. And that brings some of the interest from Formula One across there as well. I mean, that's the reason why I started watching it. I think it adds legitimacy. Because yeah. um, I think uh, Jeb and Buemi were two former Toro Rosso, or yeah. now former Toro Rosso drivers. Uh, Buemi was probably unlucky in that he... I think Aldersuari is in there as well. On that group. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, um Heidfeld, he was in yeah, there too. Yeah, Heidfeld, wasn't there, yeah. Um, a lot of quality drivers and drivers who deserve an F1 drive, they yeah. just don't have the cash behind them. So they have to do it the, the hard way and earn it. Yeah. And and the thing is, I think it's kind of a moot point now that everything is going to go to electrics sooner or later. You know, it's only a matter of time. And so you might see combustion engines being a historical um, sort of formula of racing. And I'm talking like 50 years, 100 years, something like that. And so sooner or later, Formula E is going to be the way. It's going to be the future. Yeah, I, I think um, there's going to be a transition to hybrid. I, I don't think uh, the combustion engine days are quite done yet, but um, solely because of the problem of storing the power. Mm. But I think there is a lot to be said for a good, uh, exciting hybrid. Yeah. Um, simply because electric engines have 
the torque curve isn't a curve. It's yeah. a straight line. Like yeah. You have that torque available from the first moment you step on the throttle, yeah. which uh, petrol engines don't have. So, but why choose one or the other? You can have low-end torque coming from an electric engine and the high-end torque coming from the petrol engine. Yeah. It's easily doable. Uh, and it's really no more different than putting a turbocharger on a car. And th- the thing is, um, the uh, WEC has moved to hybrids again as well. Um, so, I mean... You've got lots of F1 drivers going across there as well. I know Weber's across there, and you've got Tim O'Glock across there. Jensen was talking about it, and we've just recently saw that uh, Nico Hulkenberg is going to race the 24-hour Le Mans with the, the, the Porsche team. I think he's going to drive the third car. I'm not sure who he's partnered with, but I think that's great that Force India have allowed him to do that, even though I think it's mid-season. And um, to see that crossover into Formula 1, like the old days or the old races where you wouldn't just race one series, you'd race one series and the other series in the off-season. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how how he does in that format. But also, it seems like the um, trickle-down effect of hybrid engines might come more from that series as opposed to Formula 1 with a a much easier correlation with road cars as opposed to a Formula 1 car. Yeah, true, true. I think even this season we're seeing a, a lot more hybrid technology coming in. Yeah. But it's only going to get more. They're not yeah. going to drop it out now. Yeah. And I think it's... I'm fine with that. I I think it's going to make for very exciting racing, especially when you're seeing guys able to launch off a corner so dramatically. Yeah. Um, and without the traction control and everything, it's going to mean that the guys that can control it better yeah. are going to reap the rewards in terms of tyre degradation. And, and I think with, with these... We got with these three series sort of feeding off of the of Formula One, where you had F1, you got WEC, and you've got the Formula E. I think a strong Formula E and WEC will only be good for Formula One because it'll sort of give them a kick in the ass and realise you can have all the money, but if the fans want to see good racing, they're willing to change to the Formula E or WEC. You yep. don't have complete control over this market. You have to listen to your fans sooner or later. Look, if if I was running Formula E, first thing I'd do, uh, you've got Nicholas Prost there yeah. uh, son of Elaine Prost and Bruno S- Bruno what's his last name S- I can't say it no he, you got uh, Senna's it, nephew yeah um, look put them in the same team yeah yeah. and in cap, like, tell them things like uh, you know hey Nicholas Bruno stole your baguette ah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Bruno <laughs> He said bad things about your mother's booty. He said it was small. <laughs> hey, let him have at it. Uh, no, I would watch that shit. Yeah, I mean... Uh, remember that... the first uh, Formula E race we saw where I think it was Heidfeld got airborne for a good yeah. 30 metres? Um, look, I couldn't actually tell you who won that race, but I can tell you that moment. And I think um, playing on the legacy that is apparent in Formula E is massively important in legit- legitimising the formula. Yeah. Because they've got some quality F1 drivers they need quality F1 rivalries. Yeah. Uh, you need guys out there who, if not hate each other, at least love to see each other lose. Yeah. And they're going to lots of countries that Formula 1 have been in the past, so they know there is interest in motorsports, but they're not there currently. It seems Formula 1, I mean, with Bernie at the helm, it's just a, a massive cash grab. And, I mean, the next new race they've got on the on the calendar is Abazajan or whatever it is, another country with absolutely atrocious human rights records <laughs> yeah so i mean to be honest it's gonna be good when bernie steps aside and we can make more sensible decisions about where to go racing i mean i think it'd be more interesting to stick a few more in south america where you've got 
a better fan base. I mean, it's not as much oil, but you're going to get fans and they're going to spend money eventually, sooner or later. It's got to count for something. Yeah, I mean, um, I think it's it's only going to help racing. And I yeah. think each, uh, each series of Formula E and Formula 1 can... Uh, coexist. I I don't think one's going to take from the other. Yeah. Um. I I think it would be a mistake to make Formula E a leader race for F1. Yeah. Um. I think Formula E, uh, if Formula One use Formula E's success as a test bed, for example. Yeah. I think it could work quite well. Uh. What uh, Bernie's Formula One is doing at the moment is going after the easy money. Yeah. Rather than the long term. Uh, cash, which is what happens when you have lifelong fans. Yeah, now they're the ones that'll they'll buy the pay per views, they'll go and watch the races, buy the merchandise, all that sort of crap. Whereas now you're sort of coming in with a big fanfare, and you know, like the Korean Grand Prix, you know, mm. beautiful, everyone turns up ish. <laughs> uh, yeah. well, you know, everyone whose staff turns up. Yeah, everyone with money turns up, and then you've got empty ass stands, and everyone's like, yeah, this is kind of shit. Yeah, this is not much fun racing in front of no one. Yeah, you know, it tends to echo. Mm. Um, and everyone goes home, and that's kind of it. But, uh, you know, races where the fans are involved, uh, where they've grown up with names, and, you know, like Australia's a classic example. Um, if there wasn't an F1 race here in Adelaide and in Melbourne, we wouldn't know who the fuck F1 is. No, um, I wouldn't even watch F1. No, like, I, I mean, it's like a DTM driving uh, in, in Germany. Quality racing but just doesn't get exported very well. You know, again, the language barrier too. But, um, you know, IndyCar probably does a little bit better in terms of not having much of a a presence in Australia these days, as much as it used to anyway. Yeah. Uh, A bit better recognition than F1 would, solely because of the American saturation of content Mm. on our our channels. But um, I I think they really need to chase expansion fan base, not just uh, who's got the most cash to wave at me. Yeah, uh, you know that's it's kind of what strip uh, strip mining is all about. Like they'll just take what they can and then move on. And I mean, it's not going to change while Bernie's at the helm. Which, when when the time comes that he does pass away or step aside, I'd like to see Claire Williams take over. I think she'd be really good. She's proven that she can be fiscally responsible with Williams, and she's shown she has the personality to win fans. And she also has that she's tech savvy. She's up to date with social media yep. and. And those things which are going to be important with making F1 grow in the future. And just update with the cars too. Yeah. And, uh, you know, modern technology in general. She's not yeah. going to just uh, get the vehicles through the equivalent of run under the sprinkler in summer. Yeah. And if you if you don't know the comment we're talking about, uh, I think it was a year ago, Bernie said he thought it would be great for exciting uh, exciting races but to turn on sprinklers rapid, uh, randomly. Yeah, yeah. Um, which everyone else sort of turned to him and said, what the fuck are you talking about, dickhead? Yeah, well, I mean, they already turned down his proposal for red turtle shells, so that was his, <laughs> that was his subsidiary plan. <laughs> yeah, it's the stars that we're fucking concerned about. <laughs> Actually, the little bald dude in the Mario Kart cloud does look a bit like Bernie. Yeah, well, I think I think Malinado thought he was actually had stars pretty much the whole season. He thought he just passed through people. He was seeing stars. He kept crashing the fucking wall. Spending a fuck with of cash, too, in the process. <laughs> I, I think... Um... That about cleans it up for tonight. Yeah, I think that's a, a wrap of the season and also a little bit of a preview of what may happen next year and what you can expect. And we're going to try and do the F1 podcast, you know, uh, regularly. But obviously in the off-season it's a bit harder. But I do keep up to date with the winter testing and the technology race because Formula 1 is a, a three three championships, really. You've got 
the constructors, the drivers, but the hard work comes in the off-season, so you'll keep up to date with who wins the off-season championship. In fairness, it's probably a fourth there in the uh, the Mrs. Championship. Yep. Um, you know, every year it seems like uh, some F1 driver who looks like he's been sucking an exhaust pipe his whole life comes out with a, a wife or girlfriend who is phenomenally stunning. Um, yep. I think uh, Michi Barta would yeah. be the leader currently. I think the biggest prize this season was that Rosberg actually had a girlfriend. Yeah. Or was that his sister? Um, he has been pretty quick to point lawsuits to people who make those sort of assumptions. But let's just say that uh, in the F1 paddock, his nickname of Princess Nico isn't about uh, Tiara he owns. And he does love spending the off-season in St. Kilda. <laughs> so... Actually, I think I saw him in the St. Kilda Gurns. Actually, now that you mention it, he does look a bit like a uh, shorter, tubbier Nick Revolt. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, you probably see him down the other side of the bar at... Uh, what's the place on Footscray Road? Not Footscray Road. Footscray Road. Anyway. So, yeah. so Nice story, bro. We're going to do um, uh, intermittent podcasts through the off-season and also leading up to next season. So, yeah. For the late night races, especially, we'll try and do uh, cross commentary simply because the Australian commentary isn't the best. Uh, at least I actually quite like when Alan Jones commentates because he, yeah. he doesn't fuck about. Yeah. But uh, sometimes it tends to get a bit boring. Yeah. Um, and there's no dick jokes. In, yeah. a, in a season where they were, there was 22 cars, well, for some races, yeah. on the track where they had one or more penises on them and a couple of cars had penises in them. Yeah. But uh, there was not nary a dick joke to be had. No, no. Like, and you've got those things pretty much entering exhaust pipes. I mean, they write themselves. They really do. Put your dick in an exhaust pipe. You get yours your way, and I'll get mine mine. <laughs> well, I suppose you have to pay an exhaust pipe, so. <laughs> All right, so that's it, guys. Yeah, uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks very much. That's been Clicking Balls. All right, peace. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.